And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you for joining me for this special edition of Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. We normally come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We uh, are also on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry for the podcasts, and on YouTube for the videocasts. So you can watch our interviews, uh, and you can take a look at the various, uh, <laughs> if you're so inclined, uh, int- uh, very, uh, you can take a look at the different uh, backgrounds that I might come up with. Right now, I've got The Rock uh, behind me from Ireland, so I hope that... Uh, uh, for me, it's it's a great uh, it's a great reminder of a great trip and uh, hopefully a future uh, trip to stay. I took the second trip over and I said we're not coming back, and of course, well, here we are. In any event, we hope that you enjoy these programs. If you do and they resonate with you and you'd like to support the work we are doing, we'd gratefully appreciate any financial support you can give us. We have a PayPal and Patreon account for your security as well as ours. We also ask you to participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. We ask you to spend time going within, listening to that still, small voice that uh, will give you the guidance and the encouragement and the inspiration that uh, you need and want, and also uh, finding that still, quiet, small, uh, peaceful place where you can rejuvenate and recharge, re-energize, refocus your attention and your energies on what uh, the task is at hand that uh, uh, you are led to, to follow there. So with that said, we thank you for joining us. We also thank our very special guest on this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. Uh, he is Anthony uh, Brinkley. He is CEO of the On the Brink Consulting and maintaining, uh, he maintains an extensive background in leadership development and uh, Resiliency training. We're going to find out about that. Also, uh, was the commander, uh, the command chief. I almost said commander in chief. Command chief, master sergeant for the 11th Wing Joint Base Andrews uh, in Maryland, and was also the principal advisor to uh, the commander on the in, on uh, all enlisted issues. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, Anthony, I want to thank you so much. Uh, I don't know uh, if I should refer to you by your military title or just uh, sir. <laughs> well, um, Anthony, Anthony works great for me. And I'll just say just hearing your opening and what you stand for and, and in the midst of everything that's going on, reminding us to try to find a quiet place to hear that small, still voice. Um, that is those are words to live by. So thank you for that. And thank you for this opportunity. You are very welcome. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you and to to uh, basically uh, tap your brain, if you will, your brain and your heart, as far as uh, ways in which we can be better at the what at what we do, whether it's uh, being a parent or a, a spouse or someone in, in business or in our community, whatever the case might be. I know that uh, for the the majority of our uh, uh, our programs and as well as our our uh, uh, listeners and uh, uh, the things that they do. All of what they talk about is translatable into every walk of life. And I think that that's something, too, in spite of the fact we were talking with one gal not long ago about um, 
basically uh, jump-starting, if you will, your career. And this was dealing primarily with young people. But people are restarting and jump-starting their careers and reinventing themselves over and over again as they grow older and older. I mean, I'm 60, and I just reinvented myself. I'm now doing video editing. I was never doing that before. And honestly, never wanted to. I felt that, hey, you can walk into the studio, you start the recording, you flip the switch, and, and away you go. Well, now I got to deal with the background, and I left my hat in the other room so you see the shine off my head, and it, it just gets so complicated. But I'm making the adjustment. I'm actually having a lot of fun with it, and it's, it's very interesting. So I'm thinking that maybe we might want to start from there, um, especially uh, uh, from your standpoint uh, as a, a leadership expert, motivational speaker, as well as a change agent. Ooh, I, I tell you, I, I, there is no um, alphabet acronym, is there, for that, for that agency, is there? <laughs> no. no, there isn't. Um, what, what, what I would offer to you, um, based on what you just said, I think that our whole world got hit with a pop quiz in the form of the pandemic and some of the, you know, social things going on. And then politically speaking, I think it was just so many things, a confluence of events coming together at once where, where people were, even if you were comfortable, we were all shaken. We were, and I think that the platform has been like leveled. And so like for you, you know, to say that, Hey, I'm, I never really was into editing and things of that nature. I think this time of life has challenged us to look at uh, why do we do what we do? Um, are we doing what we're supposed to do? And if we're not, are we courageous enough or do we have the fortitude to just say, hey, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone? So I, I think this is a great time for a lot of people. I think it's a great time for innovation and, and, and creativity and people bringing their skill sets to the fore. So um, I'm not surprised that you've done what you're doing. And, and I think I would, I would just talk to you, you know, tell your listeners to, you know, follow your example to say, Hey, you know, what is this something I can learn? I can benefit not so much me individually, but using my gifts and talents to help the communities at large. I know a lot of people struggle with that aspect of their gifts and talents because a lot of people don't really, They've never really taken a, an assessment thereof, and that seems to be very important. Uh, and we want to talk about that as well as the book that uh, you have written. Actually, you've written a couple of books, uh, and uh, we are encouraging people to uh, go to your website. Now, you actually have two websites, and I think one will take you to the other, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? And you Yeah. Um, if, they want to, if they want to get to the book, I'll... It's pretty simple. It's chiefanthonybrinkley.com. Um, Chief was my title, so chiefanthonybrinkley.com. But, but, to, but to your point, uh, even more specifically, the, the odds of being born is like one in 400 trillion. So, so just being born, you actually hit the lottery in life. And so many people, when they're born, people try to tell them what they're supposed to do, what norms they're supposed to ascribe to. And if they're not careful, they end up being born uniquely crafted and they die a copy of something. So my thing is take the time, as you said in your opening, to quiet your mind, to hear that small, still voice that will tell you something that may not even make sense to you, but it's going to direct you in a place that's going to you know, take you out of your comfort zone and, and take you to another plateau where your gift will, will encourage other people to realize that they're one in 400 trillion and maybe they need to do the same thing to figure out what they do that can leave this place better than they found it. 
And I couldn't agree with you more. I had an experience like that just recently dealing with my finances and uh, uh, I needed to make some adjustments here and there. And I kept getting this prompting, go ahead and do this, which was totally contrary to my intellect, to my ego personality. No, 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 I don't want to do that. that. That's counterintuitive. Well, I went ahead and I did it. And when I looked back after the fact, I realized that uh, had I not done that, things would have been a lot worse, a lot worse. And so um, that's one of the things, too, that I, I tell people as well. Your, that voice will never put you in harm's way. It might challenge you, as you just described, but it's not going to put you in harm's way. It's not, it's not trying to get you hurt or killed. It, it's, it's, uh, it's trying to help you to move through your life in such a way that, A, you'll learn the lessons that you need to learn for the next step and the next step and the next step, uh, but also to bring to you those things that you truly desire, not deserve, but desire. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you uh, uh, are going to get the, the, the Porsche or the mansion or, or the seven or eight or nine figure uh, dollars in your bank account. What I think it, it also tries to show us what's really important. Uh, and let's talk about that aspect of all of this in terms of what is really important. From your experience, 28 years in this field, um, through the military especially, what have you found and how long did it take you to find what's really important for Anthony? Well, the, the name of the book is You Can't Run Away From You. And the subtitle is A Young Man's Journey to Himself. So for me, when I was like five years old, um, I thought we were going for a ride. I didn't have to go to pre-K pre that day. And we ended up at a medical treatment facility where I started to go through chemotherapy and different forms of treatment for six months. So that started an odyssey for me as far as my orientation to myself. I had abandonment issues. I had separation anxiety. I was a very angry and confused young man. And back then, you know, a lot of people didn't get therapy. So you were left to try to figure out things yourself. Fast forward to doing 28 years in the Air Force, I became a high achiever. And, and, and a lot of my, like when you said the car and the house and all this, a lot of that stuff I was motivated to do because I was trying to prove the world wrong and prove myself right. And I found as I started to amass certain things that they were really empty. And so for me, at a certain point in my life and people kind of pushing through me, pushing them away, um, it, it, it became very evident to me that the best things in life really are free and they're connected from heart to heart, mind to mind, spirit to spirit. And, and to me, you know, I really understand now that it is truly better to give than receive. So now I try to work hard not to be rich or wealthy or famous. I try to work hard so I can help other people and I, I get intrinsically fulfilled by doing that. So the short answer is people aren't going to remember, you know, what you gave them. They're going to remember what you left them. They're going to remember how you made them feel. And that's something that, you know, uniquely crafted that you can give them in a way that's going to not not so much how you like it, but how they're going to respond. So to me, um, I look, look at you and I, you know, you said you're 60, I'll be 56 here in a couple of months. And, and, and I'm grateful to be here to talk to someone like you and, and to see a platform that you have. I mean, you could answer the question better than me because just hearing you talk, you're like, slow down. 
quiet your mind. Get all the white noise of the world out of your head and out of your conscious. And then just listen to that one who allowed you to be one in 400 trillion and then figure out how you can help somebody else see that they're uniquely crafted. Mm. Now, you and I uh, share a couple of things. Number one is that we do share, it appears to me that we share the same hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. Uh, but we also share something that may not seem too obvious to some folks. And I wanted to ask these questions of you, and I, I, I want to ask these questions very respectfully uh, because I know how sensitive the subjects might be to some folks, and I don't want, my intention is not to offend. But do you, did you still have those attitudes of achievement when you were in the Air Force uh, as a black man? Was that a thought in your mind that you, you, that was part of the reason why you needed to achieve because of the, 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 the general consensus, or, or maybe it's not the general consensus, because I'm not a member of that particular uh, uh, demographic, if you will, but I grew up legally blind. I grew up with the thick rimmed glasses, large print mm -hmm. books and tape recorders and, and all of that stuff. So I had my own uh, visual. People could see that I couldn't see well. Uh, well, people can see that you are a black man. But you and I both, we have achieved something in our lives, maybe in spite of, maybe because of. Could you, could you address that a little bit? So um, growing up, I was... Um I had to go across town to schools predominantly populated with people who didn't look like me, had different ethnic backgrounds. And so for me, I was a minority in a place and, and there were some people that welcomed me, but there were a lot that didn't. And so I actually wrote about this in my book and I had a lot of bitterness and anger towards people who look like you. And I remember talking about a fight I had with a young man because of things that he said and different things. And I just, I didn't respond well. And I remember saying that in the midst of the fight, I recall as, as, as vicious as I thought he was coming at me, I felt like I, be, I was becoming the same thing in that moment. And I didn't like how that felt. And I said, if I'm not careful, I'm going to become the thing that I despise. Mm -hmm. So I still had issues with people who, who didn't look like me. And there was an old white gentleman. They had a program where they would take you and do different things. And so my, my, my thing was, I, I, I thought I wanted to be a firefighter. So this gentleman, he was, he worked with fire services and he brought me around. He would teach me things about, I mean, stuff I never knew. Most people still don't know about fire services. And I learned, and he was an older white gentleman. And he talked to me about life and he disarmed me and he can he changed my perspective. And he actually provided perspective that I had never experienced before. So from that point, he blew up my whole argument about people, you know, all this, you know, they're all this way. We're all, you know, he blew that whole argument up and changed my paradigm as you spoke about in your opening. And I realized that there would be opportunities for me to meet people who might not have my best interest in mind, whether no matter what their persuasion was, but I also realized that if I wanted to change the world, it had to start with me. And, and, and I couldn't let anybody maybe mistreat me or hate me enough to make me mistreat or hate them. So I am grateful for his name was Holly Offinger. I will never forget him. And then throughout the course of my military career, you don't get to pick who you work around. Um, and so I got exposed to different people from different backgrounds. I'll tell you a quick story and I'll throw it back to you. Okay. So I was in basic training and it was a friend of mine. 
Now we became friends. He was from Kansas and I was the first black person he had ever met. So we were doing our weapons qualification. And he leaned over and said, Hey, I'm having a little problem here, but I said, you guys, you all know how to shoot because all you guys carry guns. And he was being as kind. He was being as nice and sincere. But I was like, hey, man, we need to talk. I said, we don't all carry weapons. But that was his orientation to people like me because he watched TV. So he and I became great friends. And so to me, I think the achievement piece for me wasn't so much about proving like to other races. It was just like I felt like I couldn't do anything because I, I was abandoned. And so I felt like I had to prove to the world that I could do something. So I became a high achiever. But I was missing the relationship piece that I've been able. God has given me the ability to reconnect over the years. But I would never want to compromise a relationship for some accolade ever. Anthony Brinkley is my guest. And ChiefAnthonyBrinkley.com is the website we want you to go to to find out more about his work. And uh, the book, once again, is You Can't Run Away From Yourself. Uh, basically, from you. You can't run away from you. And that is an absolute uh, fact. That is uh, not conjecture. That is uh, nothing more than the uh, bold-faced truth. Uh, I love the uh, phrase that uh, you heard quite often in the 60s from uh, teenagers and young adults was, I'm going to travel Europe or wherever I'm going to go. I'm going to skip college to go find myself. And that was an interesting thing. Well, we're going to continue our conversation here with Chief Anthony uh, Brinkley and uh, ChiefAnthonyBrinkley.com here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we hope that you will stay with us as we continue our conversation. Anthony, I want to ask you um, a little bit more about this particular area. You chose, uh, and I have to, I have to say that even though I am not a, a real big fan of the military from the way it has been used over the decades uh, because I, I, you know, from, from more of a philosophical perspective, it's such a waste of great potential. I mean, I can't even imagine what this world would be, be without you in it. And so from that standpoint, however, there is an element of the military that I wish that we could incorporate into our society that, and it's, I guess, best epitomized by the phrase, and I think this is applied in all the branches, that not only do I have your six, but we don't leave, we leave no man or woman behind. And it's that brotherhood or sisterhood or humanhood, if you will, that exists, that is inculcated, if you will, uh, infused into the, the uh, experience, I don't know if it's in boot camp or what have you, uh, of, of one who might enlist and so forth. And to me, that's missing in such a huge way in our society. Your thoughts in that regard? Yes. Um, one, I think we have a slight advantage from the standpoint that we pre-screen our people. So when you start now, a lot of people don't know this, but we, we the, the Air Force, I was in the Air Force, we only recruit off of 24% of our population. 76% of Americans aren't even recruitable because of aptitude, things in their past, physical things, things of that nature. So we can only recruit off of 24% of our country. And then we look at certain things like, um, you know, you're, you know, they ask you certain questions about, you know, are you part of extremist groups, different things. So although we still have some things because, you know, we pull from America. So obviously you still have issues that you have to deal with from time to time. Mm -hmm. By and large, 
Um, as you said, um, I'll give you a quick story. When I went to um, I went to Saudi Arabia during Operation Desert Storm in 1991, and I was leading a bunch of folks. We were doing mid-air refueling missions. And so um, I told the folks before we left, I said, listen, the folks we're going to see, what we're going over there to, to, to engage with, they're not going to kill every white person they see, every black person, every agnostic, every Muslim, every Christian. They're going to try to kill every American that they see. And so we can't t- take a moment. It's, it's different. If you work at McDonald's, which I used to work at, if I have a problem with my coworker, it may just mean someone's order got messed up or it got delayed. If I allow personal proclivities or mindsets to negatively affect what we do, we can actually affect people can lose their life. Missions can be you know, not accomplished. So the, the stakes are so much higher. And so I think by and large, we understand that, um, I, you know, we and even there have been many presidents and elected officials that I didn't support. But my, my oath is to the Constitution of the United States. So some of the things that you see a lot of people get involved in in our citizenry, we don't really get involved. And we say, listen, our oath is to defend this idea, this concept of what we do. And there were some things that, you know, we got involved in. I'm like, why are we here? But the bottom line is it doesn't even a lot of times it's not even about the mission. It's about that person to your left and to your right. Mm -hmm. And and hopefully that that comes across to folks, because uh, I know I, I see different television programs that seem to sort of reinforce that connection within the military, whether you're in or you're or you're retired, um, you know, and and I like to see that. And I'm hoping that that will, so to speak, rub off in some fashion uh, from on onto the, the, the viewers, if you will. Anthony Brinkley is my guest. We're talking about uh, the work that he is doing. You actually have another book in addition to uh, the, the, the latest work that, that we are talking about here. You can't run away from you. I, I did two other books. Right. One is called um, Words, Words to Live By. And then the other one is called You Better Enjoy Life. And right. they're actually two daily devotionals. They're both two six-month devotionals. And I did mine differently because if you, if you read most daily devotionals, one for every day of the week, so seven per week, most people can't tell you what they read three days ago. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what, I want I want people to, one, not have to spend a lot of time, but they can get a lot of value out of the book. So I did two devotionals per week, and you read the first devotional the first three or four days of the week, and then you read the other one the rest of the week, but they have a, they have a, a corresponding thought. So it keeps you focused throughout the week. And, um, and, and really, for me, those books are important to me because my faith is important to me, and so I wanted to be able to speak to people on everyday things and tied to a greater concept or something larger than themselves. So that was the genesis of those books. Hmm. Once again, you better enjoy your life. It sounds like a command there that you might give <laughs> to, to you better enjoy your life. And that's an order. Uh, and then, of course, words to live by, as well as the one we're talking about now, you can't run away from you. Again, it is a young man's journey to himself. Um as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, we encourage you to listen to us 
uh, on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., as well as this special time for this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We're uh, podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and Blueberry, and other locations you folks are reposting, too. And we certainly hope that you will uh, make it a point, because we will be linked to his website, ChiefAnthonyBrinkley.com, so that you can continue your evolutionary process, as it were. I want to ask you, in reference to uh, what you were just talking about, and I actually saw this question written somewhere. Now, the 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 form of uh, we'll call it government, okay, uh, that the military functions under is not a democracy, and my understanding is you can't have. A democracy within the military or you would not only never get anything done but that if you went to battle you'd probably all be killed because everybody's going off doing their own thing and so it has been said I don't know if this is correct or not that actually it is the only uh, element of our society that is actually under what would be considered, and correct me if I'm wrong, a socialist form of government or some modified form thereof. Because when you are a soldier, whether you're in a plane or in a tank or, or all boots on the ground, you're given, an, you're given an order to do whatever it is that they're asking you to do. And if you don't do it, there are repercussions. There's punishment, if you will, uh, more in, in light of the brig or, uh, you know, uh, uh, a discharge, uh, um, I forget what the, the term is, but needless to say, talk to me about, talk to us about the aspect of life in the military. You were there for 28 years and the way in which you and your fellow uh, airmen had to, shall we say, uh, behave socially, if you will, in that we'll call it that civilized uh, um, environment? Um, I don't think I would use the term socialism okay. as, it, as it applies to the military. But what I will say is there has to be, there has to be, as you said, there is a, there's a formal structure and it's designed to be the most efficient way of getting things done because typically when we have missions, we may not have a hundred percent solution on our missions, missions. So, you know, based on us having to go and respond to different contingencies, we have to move out rapidly. And so sometimes that doesn't lend itself to, you know, long back and forth, as you see in Washington, D.C. all the time. Um, so so what I would suggest to you is this for your consideration and your viewers consideration is that although like I'll speak to a couple of things you said. One is if someone, you know, basically you have to respond to what people tell you. Well, that's true to a point. But there's also a stipulation, and if someone gives you something that's unethical, it's illegal or immoral, you, you have a moral imperative to actually not obey that order. And, and actually, the person who gives an, an order that's unlawful or unethical, um, you, you are duty-bound to, to uh, report that person, and then they would actually face whatever form of recrimination or scrutiny associated with that. Um, another thing i like to offer for your consideration is, although we are a hierarchy as far as rank and positions making decisions. The military that I grew up in, I think it still corresponds today is that 
although we have people, it's like you being the CEO of your company or running this podcast, you know, you have people that you work with, but at the end of the day, you own 51% of the vote. Well, how great organizations function is you have decision makers. And then when you have time to discuss those things, you, the people are brought in because when you start looking at things from the strategic level down to the tactical level where things are being implemented, if, if people are just making decisions at the strategic level and they're not considering where it's being implemented, they're going to miss a whole lot of stuff and they're not going to get the results. So I wouldn't want to be a part of an organization where my voice wasn't heard uh, or I wasn't given the opportunity to be considered. And so um, there are many opportunities for that. But then again, just like you with 60 years of life experience, and then you bring somebody into your world and they want to tell you how to do something. And they've been, they've been in the game for like five minutes. It's like, I understand your enthusiasm, but here's why I need your focus. So I'm just saying there's, there's levels to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it certainly is a big challenge uh, for folks uh, who have a very independent streak in them uh, to, to go yes. into the military. And it's not that that independent streak is, is hammered out of them, uh, but I, maybe it's refocused uh, so as yes, to be able to express their perspective, even though at the end of the conversation, they will say, okay, my views were heard and I will follow right. these orders. These are not illegal, uh, unlawful, et cetera, et cetera, orders. Uh, you know, this is just the way that it is. Uh, and I signed up and I took an oath and off we go. So that to me is. A, and in many cases, but, in, but in many cases, though, Richard, in many cases, to that analogy that you just gave, people will give their input and things will actually be modified. So. So there's there is a lot of give and take. But again, you know, when, when we got to get on a plane and, it, and our job is to meet another aircraft in the air and refuel them, because if they get on the ground then that if they can't refuel in the air, that means our ground troops aren't being supported. Right. We don't have time to talk about, well, we're going to give a premium or we're going to give, you know, it's like, no, we're going to get on the damn plane <laughs> and we're going to get them with it. <laughs> I like that. By the way, I don't know if you know about this, but uh, when you're up there refueling, do you guys give green stamps for per gallon or something like that? <laughs> well, well you're, dating, you're dating yourself and you're dating me because I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> We're talking with Anthony oh, Brinkley boy. and uh, chiefanthonybrinkley.com is the website. And we encourage you to go to his website and find out more about the book that uh, we're kind of talking about, but just in general, his philosophy, you can't run away from you, as well as uh, some devotional works, words to live by, and you better, you better enjoy your life. And I, I would have to say that that to me is a phrase that is so important for folks to, to pick up on. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for New World. I'm Richard Dugan. This is a program that comes your way uh, on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. And we hope that you will go to Chief Anthony uh, Brinkley.com and find out more. We will be linked to his website so that you folks can continue to do more research and, and study and, and get a copy of his book if you'd like. Uh, curious as to whether it's uh, available yet in audible form. It is, it is not an audible form. Um, it is, it's on Kindle, on Amazon Kindle, but it's not, I haven't taken the time to sit down, but 
that's probably the next iteration in this process. That'd be wonderful to do too. Uh, but uh, we will uh, continue to talk with uh, Anthony here in regards to the work that he is doing and the, what he is bringing forth. When you talk about what you leave behind, a lot of people will use the word legacy, okay? Leaving this place better than they found it is a good, a wonderful phrase to use. What do you see as that which you want to leave behind? And is that going to be the same as what you leave behind? Well, that's a very profound question. I think what and what I want could be two different things because I think it's, it's dependent on the individual. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, people respond to different things. I think conceptually what we leave behind is the same. For example, you have a program, you want to change the paradigm. You want people to become more introspective, reflective, which, which leads to positive correction. So I think what we leave people behind is one, we have to understand what they what resonates with them, what they respond to. So our what we, what we believe, what we want to convey, that doesn't change. How we convey that is, is independent, uh, is dependent on uh, whoever we engage with. So for me, I believe what I would want to leave behind. I, I was given opportunities I didn't deserve. Um, I talk about in the first grade, I saw somebody get killed in front of me. I had a gun pulled on me in the first grade. Um, I was I, I tell people about this in my training. Fifty percent of Americans experience trauma before the age of 14. Mm. Before the age of 24, 75 percent of Americans experience some form of trauma. And in many cases, the trauma is untreated. And so if we don't. And so it becomes our orientation to ourselves and the orientation to our world. So what I want people to do is one, I want them to know that whatever you went through doesn't define you, but it can develop you. And, and so how do we take what we've gone through and turn it into a curriculum internally and, and inspire people to extract those lessons? Because what you go through in life, it, it doesn't it doesn't have to break you. It can actually make you. So my, my goal is to figure out what it is that you say is important to you and then help you understand it. Even though you might not know how to do it, all the pieces that you need are actually inside of you. So people like you and I, Richard, we help them put those pieces together. Mm. Well, and that's kind of what it's all about. I, I love what uh, uh, James Redfield says in his Celestine Prophecy about uh, messages that we have for each other. And I've kind of uh, interpreted that to, to mean that uh, as you share your messages with me that I need and vice versa, we are then as individuals able to start to put together uh, the, the puzzle the, and, and another piece that goes into to the jigsaw puzzle of our lives that eventually we'll put enough of it together that we'll get a better idea of what our big picture is of sorts. Uh, and that's why it is, I think, so valuable, so important for each one of us to remember that we are a community. Uh, I, I realize that the, 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 the whole tribalism thing is very strong these days. I, 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 and I can appreciate that. I mean, I, I, I promote my, my Irish heritage. You know, I want to, it's like I mentioned at the front end of the program with the rocks behind me here from a picture that I took there. And I love that country and I love the people that are there. They're just wonderful. And, and I would love to be there 24-7 somewhere, somewhere along the way. I will. 
But in spite of Irishness, if you will, there is still uh, there is still the aspect of of humanness. And it's one of the things that I said to some um, some members of the LGBTQ community when we had them on a program uh, who don't feel like they belong. And they're made to feel that way by whoever's around them. And I say, first of all, are you a human being? And they well, yeah. I said, then you belong. You are a member of the human race. You belong. Now, because we're here in the United States, I said, and you're an American, right? Yeah. Then you belong. Period. End of story. No more conversation. You are a member of this community. And if you want to define it down even further than that, that's fine. But uh, when we don't belong, and isn't that one of the, the, the big points, if you will, within the military, that each individual is important to the community, to the collective and I've never understood the breakdown of the various elements and sizes, whether it's a, a battalion or a squadron or a, uh, I, I've never understood the numerical rankings. But you have all of those different, different parameters of individuals making up a particular, uh, um, again, I don't, the, the names are not coming to me, but you know what I'm referring to, right? So doesn't the military do. doesn't the military foster the aspect that you are important to what we are trying to achieve, which is why we are tra training you in the way that we are training you? Absolutely. Um, you know, when we look at you know one of our creeds for our, our, our America, e, you know, e progress unum, unum out of many one. And so for me, um, I think it's important that. I think both sides of the coin are important. For example, like people will say, um, I don't see color. Uh, all I see is, like, I'll use the Air Force. I see Air Force blue. I'm like, no, you actually need to see color because if, you know, like people say they're colorblind. So, no, the only reason, the only way you can't distinguish colors is if you're actually colorblind. And so I, my point to them is that we need to understand the differences that people have, whether it's backgrounds, whether it's language, whether it's we're differently abled, because all, all those things distinguish us one from another. And those, those distinctiveness, those, those distinguishing factors can actually help us understand different things about each other with the understanding that all of that undergirds the overall mission that we're supposed to be in this thing together. So I think it's important that one, we are Americans first. Um, we, we come from diverse backgrounds mm -hmm. and that's where our strength comes from. But at the end of the day, we subordinate all of those things to come together and meld for a greater good. So, um, yeah, I mean, when you look at the functionality of what we do, again, we bring we bring people from different elements of um, skill sets and backgrounds, and it all goes off in most cases seamlessly. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer. I don't really care what you believe in. I have my own belief systems. So there might be some stuff I believe that doesn't correspond with other people's beliefs, but I would never hold that over them. All I want to know is can you do your job? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's uh, one of the reasons uh, I, I want to ask this question. Does the military and I, again, I know your experience is in the Air Force, but I would think that this may go across the branches. What is the military's perspective on 
individual self-esteem because we see, and again, I know these are the movies and television programs, and I get that, so maybe it's exaggerated. Um, sorry, I'm going to date myself again. We've seen the sergeant and Gomer Pyle in Gomer Pyle uh, uh, yeah. where he's just, sorry, the sergeant Carter. is Sergeant Carter's just going at him verbally. In his face, and we see this in Full Metal Jacket. We see, we've seen this in many other programs. First of all, is that a real, true depiction of what's going on in terms of the way that what they break you down and then they build you up, or how 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 does that work in terms of you walking out at the end of your tour with that kind of training? feeling good about yourself or is that really that important so yeah so so one um what i would suggest to you is that this a lot of these things that we reference that we've seen on tv or movies i would question who they who their consultants were as far as um you know background in military because some of them don't even wear the uniform right and just fundamental things and then and then how they project and portray some of that stuff is not totally accurate. But mm -hmm. that aside, I'll, let me let me address your question. When you when you use Gomer Pyle, for example, that that setting is typically done in basic training. So basic training is when you take people from all walks of life, and you got you got a, a finite amount of time to mold them into a team. So there are some pretty rigid and there's some pretty um, you know strident measures that they 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 implement to shake you up. And so part of it is to shake you up, to get you like, oh, man, I can't do this on my own or, oh, this is crazy. And everybody's looking at each other like, man, I can't get through this without you. And so there's a point where people start to kind of gel and almost rebel against the leadership. And <laughs> basically, like, we got to pull together to get through this. And then by the time that, that, that gelling part takes place, now they start to incorporate the elements of tradition and pride and honor. And now you can hear everybody march like the first time you march, it sounds like a herd of elephants. But by the time you're going in that parade field and you're being distinguished and, and graduating, it sounds like one solid footstep, which is emblematic of taking people from different walks of life, backgrounds and skill sets and talent. And you forge them into one body. But, yeah, initially, it, it, it's not for the faint of heart. You know, they will. That's why they had the brim hats because they're not supposed to hit you. But they would they lean into your face and you know beat your forehead up with the hat. <laughs> well, uh is, is the word interdependence appropriate to use in that in that construct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and to your point, you're talking about paradigm. You're talking about a world. You, you say you have such lofty goals. And, and I think they're very reasonable goals. So, yes, we are all interdependent on each other. And so um, we take the best of everything. We don't think we've cornered the market on leadership and we look at the best, whether civilian, um, other other cultures. And we say we can't do I, I put it this way. I would tell people the problems we're dealing with are bigger than me and they're bigger than you, but they're not bigger than you and me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it is. It is said that. Um First of all, there's this phrase, and, and of course I keep thinking about this over the last few years, a house divided against itself cannot and will not stand. And so you cannot have, though you, again, as you've expressed, you do have a voice in the military, 
but it cannot be such that divides, because then you're not going to have the strength of numbers collectively. And I would love to see that brought forth. And then, of course, there is that other spat, other spat. And again, I'm going to paraphrase this, and I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be loose with this, where two or more are gathered. Okay, there is the strength right there where two or more. And I know I you and I both know I'm taking that out of context, but that's where the power is when we're collected, when we're together collectively, when you began. uh, And and am I correct? Are you retired? Are you out out of the Air Force? I'm retired from the Air Force. For the Air Force, yes. Uh, so when you retired, what yes, was sir. it that that uh, uh, what was it that drove you forward to create this uh, on the brink uh, concept of on the brink consulting? I I would think it would be the same thing that drove you on your platform. I felt like that there was things that weren't being said or addressed. And I felt like that small, still voice told me that I'm supposed to travel this world and help people become the better version of themselves. And even like you said, with two or more gathered, um, there, there, there is strength in unity. You know, a two-fold cord, a three-fold cord is, is so much stronger. So when you start looking at those things that conceptualize um, unity and strength and in our country, you know, uh, our forefathers said in order to form a more perfect union, meaning we need each other and we need to reflect and be introspective at certain intervals, and, and I think it's dialogue such as these. So um, to be able to talk to someone like you who's out there trying to figure it out, I, I, I think it's like I think life is like a, a relay race, but it's a marathon relay race. And mm. you run to the end and you do everything you're supposed to do. And, and then when you get to somebody starting their race, kind of analogy about the military. I want to do it this way. But you have all that experience. So you're getting to the end of your race and your career or life. And then you find somebody starting their journey. You hand them all your time, your perspective, your experience, and those things to help them to, to take it from where you gave it to them to a further place. So we all have a purpose. No one's more important. It's just we serve different roles. Yeah, I agree with you there. One of the, uh, uh, the, the aspects of training that I have uh, incorporated into to the work that I do when people come in, I basically tell them, I'm going to show you how I do it, Okay. And I'm going to tell you what result we want. And usually it's we because it's not my station, it's somebody else's. So uh, I have to, as you said earlier in the program, I do have someone above me, uh, the hierarchy. And I don't have a problem with that. But then I tell them, okay, now that you have been shown and are now doing it the way I showed you I do it, now, I want you to do it the way it's comfortable for you as long as you get the result we want. I don't care if you stand on your head and you get the result we want. It doesn't matter to me as long as we get that result. And uh, to me, that then allows that person to put in their own style, their own creativity. If they see, And who knows, they may actually do it in such a way as like, boy, I, I never would have thought of doing it like that. That I may start doing that myself that way. 
so, you know, so I can learn too. I, you know, I'm not saying I have all the answers. And we go, man, I'll tell you what, I guarantee you, I don't have all the answers. Don't come to me. <laughs> but this is, well, go ahead. I was going to say to your point, um, in the military, we have what's called an idea program. Mm-hmm. And to your point, people look at programs been done, you know, throughout the enterprise and redundance, redundancy, and they say, is there a better way to do it? So that's just a way to your point, you, you conceptualize, you institutionalize creativity where you can cultivate and capture ideas and you can actually streamline process. So I think what you're saying is, is a really good thing. And, it, and the only limitation on doing that stuff is if it's a safety issue or health issue. Or mm-hmm. degrades the mission, but any other than that, you know, the answer can't be well. That's just how we've always done it. No, we can't do that the same <laughs> way anymore because, you know, diminishing resources, things of that nature. So yeah, and and that actually brings to mind that old story that I heard uh, uh, about uh, a family gathering. It was it could have been Easter for all I know or Thanksgiving. Only they were th- th- every year they would cook this ham, and Grandma was she would she would get out this big square pan. And she'd get the ham and she'd slice off both ends and put it in the pan and stick it in the oven. And this kid's been seeing her do this for several years and finally went up and said, Grandma, why, 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 do, you, why do you do that? I mean, what's so special about cutting the ends of the ham off, you know, before you put it in the pan and put it in the oven? And she says, well, because that's the only way the ham will fit. And that's kind of what happens. Instead of buying a bigger pan, okay, uh, or some other method, that's the way we do it, and that's always the way we're going to do it. Uh, and so I've, I just said, look, I'm, I'm going to buy a bigger pan. Uh, I'm going to cook it out on the grill this time, or I'm going to slice that sucker up, and we're going to we're going to cook it a whole different way, <laughs> you know, um, than the way right, that we've right. traditionally done it. But that's how we get stuck sometimes in our lives, isn't it? Yes, sir. Well, at, at, at the end of the day, you said it, you said it well. No one's cornered the, the market on any any knowledge. That's why when people say throughout the term expert, you know, you're expert in this, expert. I was like, well, I have a degree of knowledge, but there's always something you don't know. Um, you know, so again, uh, your, your, humil- your humanity, your humility and your inquisitive nature, it's going to it's going to cause people to want to bring things to you. And, and so as you've been talking about, of course, this interview, cultivating innovation and creative and different perspectives, I think how you engage with people is going to that's going to lend itself to that because you're creating the best environment. So I, I have no doubt that the people that you interact with, whether it's personal, or professional, um, they feel empowered to speak up. And, and, and God bless you for that. Well, thank you. I want to ask you about resiliency training. What is that? So we, we talk often about resilience like it's a, a guy makes a great catch on a football field or some event. And, and typically resilience really isn't an event. Resilience is a lifestyle. For example, most of us don't haven't taken the time to understand our orientation to ourselves. What are our personal defaults in life? What are the things that trigger us in a positive direction, negative direction? So resiliency, it, it really deals with life like if I had to get a me- give a medical diagnosis, I'm not a doctor, but I did say the holiday and express. And I tell people, if um, if I had to give a medical diagnosis, we have a full-blown case of life. Resiliency helps you take prepare for the most challenging test in your life, and that's the pop quiz. 
we always know the schedule test. We bone up for those things. We get ready for them. But you come to school one day, they tell you to put your books down and then, you you know, you get tested. Well, resilience is is one of those things in your life that's going to happen and you don't expect them to come. And people always talk about, well, I want you to bounce back. No, I don't want you to bounce back because bouncing back means you just got back to where you were before the trauma hit you and you're at the same place. Mm. We talk about bouncing forward. So uh-huh. how to extract lessons. How do you understand your ability to de- decompress or de-escalate yourself or deal in a contentious situation? Or like you said, I'm going to ask you a hard question or I'm going to ask you a challenging question. No, we're, we're talking as humanity. But but there would have been a time you might have asked me some questions. I might not respond it right, not because you were in, impolite, but because I was immature. So resiliency is about helping you understand yourself, how to process information. I tell people all a crisis is a bunch of information. It could be good stuff. We had our first baby. We bought our first house. You ever bought a first house? That's a stressful thing. It seemed nice until you start having problems. So, Or we got a pandemic going on. So we teach you how to deal with life circumstances in a way that you learn from them, you grow from them, you get better from them. Well, I couldn't ask for better advice uh, than that. Uh, going through pretty much any challenge that is is before us, whether it be a pandemic or a financial challenge or a relationship challenge or, or even a personal health challenge. Uh, I, I myself, uh, uh, back when uh, in, in the middle of the pandemic in July, late July, and I've shared this story a number of times, I was diagnosed on the 24th of July with type 2 diabetes and took about a half hour for the shock to wear off. I knew I wasn't going to have to use insulin, but still, it's like, really? Come on. You know, I mean, isn't high blood pressure enough? And so um, <laughs> I told the doc after the shock wore off, he's telling me, he's like, okay, Richard, yo, we're going to do this, and here's the prescription for this, and it's going to be a long journey. I said, no, it's not. I said, it's not going to be a long journey. I said, because I understand how I got here. And it's not going to be, and in less than two months, I had my A1C down to normal. My daily blood sugar was down to normal. And when I had the blood work done on November 1st, I went from 11.2 down to 5.7 A1C. February of this year. What did you do? What did I do? First of all, I stopped eating comfort foods. But the biggest thing I did was I stopped eating so much. Portion control is only half of it. The other, of course, is what you eat. And that's important, too. But I also researched those foods and beverages that would help to slow the metabolism of the sugars and carbs. Because if you slow that down, you don't have the spikes. And your body can better, uh, b- better deal with them. As a matter of fact, I just had a phone call with my sister uh, who lives in uh, Scottsdale. And she, uh, 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 she was sharing with me her situation. And she says, I was calling you to get some advice on how you did that. And I told her. I said, uh, I said first of all, I, completely, I haven't had a soda, a soft drink, since July 23rd of 2020. It's probably the longest I've gone because I wow. felt alternatives. I found alternatives, sparkling flavored waters uh, that have no calories, no sugar, and no carbs. But they've got a flavor in them 
that I like. And so that's what I, and so I'm getting my H2O. I love the fizz. That's one of the reasons I drank sodas. I liked the fizz in my mouth, but I also like the flavor. So, hey, you know, there you go. So um, I think that, that what you're talking about in terms of resilience, I saw that less of, as less of a crisis per se. Uh, maybe it was more of a challenge, but I didn't see it as an insurmountable challenge because if, if I got there, then I could get away from it. And what I also found out was that every person has the potential for type 2 diabetes. It all depends on what you eat and how much you eat. I mean, I was buying those massive baked uh, russet potatoes, you know, those big baked potatoes you can get in the store. I was buying one of those big ones and eating right. that along with the chicken and mm. along with the, the salad. And so my portion control just wasn't there. Uh, so I made those shifts. When you train people, when you work with people, uh, what is, from your perspective, one of the most difficult or challenging things you find that people uh, bring to you, if you will, uh, that you have to sort of um, help them, not you. You don't have to break through it. You have to help them to break through. What's the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge is that we're comfortable. I mean, you said it. You, you you know, people say you have to make your mind up, which is true. But I tell people, I, in, my, in my, my training, I say there's a difference between making a decision and making a commitment. A decision costs nothing. I'm going to decide to quit eating this or I'm going to modify or whatever that you did. The decision at the time, it's like it's just something you say. But then the commitment is, man, that potato look good. Man, I could throw some some stuff on top of that. And, and so to me. A lot of times we, we, we have to really be honest with ourselves at about our level of commitment and, 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 uh, and the stuff that we're not good at. Like you said, we all you said it. We all have the capability of having di being diabetic. We also have the same capability of being healthy. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to choices and fortitude. So I tell people like most people, they work jobs that they don't like or work for people they don't like because they don't they like discipline. They spend money. They So now they got to go somewhere they don't like because they owe somebody money. And I, so I was, tell, I was telling my brother the same thing. Like, if you just, if you become financially free or you become, you know, your health is, is not degraded, man, the whole world opens up to you. So to me, it's beyond, it, it, you, you could teach the course. You made your mind up and then you walked it out. So, and most people don't want to walk it out. They want somebody to co-sign on their mediocrity. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I think that uh, that is also one of the, uh, you know, the, the old saying, misery loves company. Well, you know, and so does ignorance and so does being comfortable. And there are times when it's perfectly okay to be comfortable. But then there are times when you find yourself stuck. Right. You find yourself not accomplishing what you want. You don't feel satisfied. You don't feel at peace. And yeah, we're going to encourage you to go within to find that peace. Okay. But at the same time, even when you come back to the real world and you're still not at peace, then there's something that's that you need to change. You need to fix. You need to shift. Uh, and I would suggest, 
I would suggest getting in touch with Anthony Brinkley at chiefanthonybrinkley.com to find out more, to find out more about the work that he's doing as well as the books he has written. He's got two, as he's referred to them as devotionals, You Better Enjoy Life, along with Words to Live By. And of course, his latest work is You Can't Run Away From You. It's a young man's journey to himself. I don't know about you, Anthony. Uh, you probably, and again, another one of these dating uh, uh, things of dating myself, although this film isn't that old. Uh, you remember the scene in City Slickers where they were in this first one, where they were uh, riding around on the horseback, and Mitch starts talking about his best day. And they start sharing what their best day was. And I remember after seeing that movie, I went on a, a camping trip with uh, two other buddies of mine in a men's group that I had started. And we went up uh, in Arizona, we went up to a place called Woods Canyon Lake. And I'd helped one of the guys to refurbish his boat. We had it on its, on its top and we had uh, basically done fiberglass and this and that and the other. Because <clears throat> uh, I think it had uh, a hole in it or a leak. In any event, <clears throat> and um, we got up there. Two of us, because the other guy wasn't going to be able to get up there till the next day. And we, uh, we kind of got into it a little bit, because he's a professor. He was older than I, and he was basically trying to tell me how to wash dishes. I grew up in a family of eight, and one of the things that we had to do every week, two of us were selected. One was going to set the table, the other one was going to do the dishes. And so every third week... I was either setting the table or I was doing the dishes. I think I know how to do dishes, right? And I just got fed up and I threw my hands up and I walked away. And of course, he was a Vietnam vet and he accused me of uh, sparking his PTSD, which I, maybe I did. And I did apologize for that. But I went up a hill and he came up there and we chatted a little bit. And I said, look, you're not my father. You're not my professor. You're my friend. And uh, we're here to have some fun. Well, we both went to bed that night, calmed things down. He had to go back down to Phoenix to uh, do some medical tests. He was going to come back. And again, we weren't that far away, so it wasn't a problem. And so I thought, you know, I'm not just going to sit here. So I took the boat, put it in the water. I rode back and forth on the lake, had a great time, came back to the camp, uh, lit a big old fire for one hot dog. <laughs> okay. Got the campsite organized. Uh, and I remembered that scene from that movie. And I was feeling so good. And I said, man, this is my best day. I'm feeling good. Not because I'd had the row with my friend, but because I had stood up for myself without being abusive or offensive or, or aggressive. Uh, and I had done some things that I really wanted to do. you know. And I even washed that morning. I washed the dishes, took care of that as well. And every day after that, for about a month and a half, I was actually able to say that, oh, man, today is my best day. And the next day was, today is my best day. What about you? Uh, in terms of, and, and this is the point I was getting to. I should have maybe gone there first. When did you feel that you turned the corner, crossed that milestone, and became a man because that experience up in at that campsite was for me at the age of 33 mind you where I felt like I finally made it I feel now like I'm a man 
Wow. Well, what I would say to that is um, there's a story I actually wrote about it. And um, I was I had a lot of issues with my dad because he was in and out of my life. So the acceptance of a man was really important to me. And when I joined the Air Force, this guy named Dusty took me under his wing. And, you know, I remember I was playing basketball, intramural basketball. And I didn't I would they wouldn't put me in the game. And my buddies was at the game. They had had a few beers and they're like, put Brinkley in the game. They were clowning me like uh, incessantly. And I was my immaturity kicked in. And so I just got up. I put my sweats on. I got ready to leave. And this old man, Dusty, came out the stand and said, you're going to honor what you said. And, and he 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 talked upside one side of me and down the other. <laughs> and my boy, my boys was later on. They were like, man, you let that old man clown you. I'm like. Nah, you can't say anything about him. But the other part is we were in the Philippines. I, I, I spent 18 months in the Philippines and he took me. He, I was getting ready to go back to the United States. He took me on this long ride into this like this, this, this beautiful you know, place, this botanical garden. He started talking to me about life. He was telling me that it, it was time for me to go be on my own. And he was telling me that he gave me all he had. And if he had a son. He wished I could have been his son. And I, he said, but it's now it's time for you to grow up. And and, and that I'm not going to say I became a man that day, but but the seeds were planted and, and, the, and the barriers were put up where I knew where the guardrails were. And so for me, um, to your point about like talking to, you know, the guy on the, you know, on the trip that you took, I think that story to me is emblematic of, you know, you're going to meet people along your path. When you talk about your best day, every day in America, 7,000 people die. Seven, before COVID, 7,000 people die every day in this country. And when I started to understand how finite and precious life is, um, I, I have this thing I tell people, like, you wake up and, and, and the good Lord, he gives you perspectives and guidance and insight and direction if you listen. And you're supposed to pour out everything you have every day to whoever you come into contact with. Like, I'm present with you. I'm not distracted. I'm listening to you. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to give what I'm supposed to give. So by the end of your day, you've given out everything you have and you go to bed empty. And then and then if, you, if you're if you able to wake up through that night, you get filled up again with new perspective, insight, illumination. And then you filled up again. And then the next day, you pour out one more time. So every day you empty out. So to your thing your story your analogy every day is supposed to be your best day because you've never seen you look at the sky the cloud configuration you've seen they've never been aligned quite that way. so take the time we'll best day every day in a different way that's mm. uh, that's fantastic i i couldn't agree with you more on that it's beautiful we're talking with anthony brinkley uh, ChiefAnthonyBrinkley.com is the website, and we, as I've said before, will be linked to it as uh, we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. You do realize that we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And we are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. And our podcasts are on SoundCloud and Spotify and TuneIn Radio and
and a lot of other locations. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch these videos. And we hope that you will do just that. And if you like what we're doing and you, it resonates with you and you'd like to be a part of it financially, we would greatly appreciate any support that you could offer. Uh, and that's why we have a PayPal account. That's for your security as well as ours. And always, always take some time, I, even if it's five minutes, just to pause. Maybe you can close your eyes. Don't do it when you're driving, please. And go within. Spend that quiet, peaceful time listening to that still, small voice. You may not always like what it has to say, but it's there for your benefit. And um, I don't know about you, Anthony. Uh, I've had, uh, I worked for 15 years at a Christian radio station, and I had people come up to me saying, Oh, Richard, uh, God told me to tell you. And sometimes I would stop them and say, Excuse me. But God knows where I am. I'll even accept a collect call from God, okay? He knows where I am, and, and he can tell me what I need to know. Now, that doesn't mean that I would shut them down completely, because sometimes what they would have to say would be confirmed by my still small voice. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's one of those things that I think is so important for people to do is is listen. Is that something that is even discussed uh, within the con within the if I can use the word confines of of the military? In your case of the Air Force, is that something that they talk about trusting your that gut feeling? Even because a lot of people will refer to it in the same way. It's still small voice. Oh, your gut feeling is what you're talking about. What do you What are your thoughts on that? Well, one, you know, we have chaplains. So people are encouraged to exercise their faith, um, obviously, and, and we don't try to say, you know, what particular faith that you should espouse. Um, you know, I'm a Christian. And I'm, 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 you know, I, I don't know. That's just something I feel strongly about, but I don't dismiss other people. Um, but when you when it comes down to when you talk about leadership tenants and being instinctual or like you said, thinking about that, you know, responding to that gut feeling. Uh, people are encouraged to um, to do what they think is right. I think that's the best way I can put it, and to do what they think is right. And typically that comes from your value set and that comes from your training and all those things around you. So, and for many of us, that's our guy. That's 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 kind of the gyroscope or the, gov the internal governor that keeps us regulated. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think people are encouraged always. You know, our, the Air Force core values are integrity first and then it serves before self and excellence in all you do. Well, those sound like Christian values to me yeah. or, or any other, other, other religious backgrounds. Hmm. Well, Anthony, I have to tell you how much I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I do have three final questions that I like to ask all of my guests. And um, again, I thank you for giving us so much time there on the side of the road or in a parking lot, wherever, uh, on, your, on your journey to your next adventure, as it were. Uh, my first of three questions is, who is Anthony Brinkley? He's the guy that's trying to just take what he has, um, be the best, take what he has and use the best. I'll put it this way. There's a story in the Bible about Moses was leading people out. And, um, you know, they got to the Red Sea. There was mountains on either side, Pharaoh behind him, and Moses started complaining. And the good Lord said, what's in your hand? He said, I have a staff in my hand. 
He said, if you keep walking and you present to me what's in your hand, I will take what's in your hand and you can help other people by committing to me what I gave you in the form of gift talents. And so I'm a guy who's just trying to use what's in his hand and commit it to God for the greater good. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? My, my tagline for my company, On The Brink Consulting, is creating excellence one person at a time. Um, it's, 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 it's making a connection with people. It's helping to unpack and inspire them to dream, to be courageous enough. Just like you, you had a life-altering experience with your diabetes and you took it on. I want to inspire people to be courageous. I want them to be uncompromising with who they are. And when they do that, they're going to end up in a place that's going to make every word, everything they touch better. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is, I just think my purpose is to leave this place better than I found. It's to give something that I wasn't given. And, and, and whatever that is. And so um, my faith is that, you know, we only do this thing once. And so I want people to know that, you know, this is not a dry run and life doesn't end here. And so I want to see them on the other side with me. So my ministry is my work. Um, I use the vernacular, you know, I, I render under Caesar what Caesar's, but but my, my number one journey is to let people know without Christ in my life, I would be nothing. And, and, and so me talking to you is representative of him um, showing me love and putting me in the right position because this has been a phenomenal interview and I am honored and privileged to call you friend and brother. I would, uh, I would echo those very sentiments too. Thank you so much. And I also thank you once again for joining me here on the program and, and sharing your story with us, your insights, your inspiration, as well as your company and your website, Chief. Anthony, not chef, but chief, although I bet you you're a darn good cook, too. Uh, chief Anthony, uh, AnthonyBrinkley.com has uh, been my guest. And again, we encourage you to go to his website and uh, find out more about the work that he is doing and maybe even connect with him. I'm Richard Dugan, and this has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to lol.